Third and four, Ryan to throw for the end zone, and it's intercepted. Justin Burris kept his feet in, and the ball, he was in position to haul it in. They're going to check his feet, but it's ruled an interception. We got all game. Stay tuned, man. We got something special for y'all today. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. To the 10, right to the 5. Scooting in for the score. Touchdown. Yes, indeed. Welcome in, everyone. Week number five of the NFL season, done and dusted in the most part. And we're here, as usual, on a Monday evening to discuss everything that went down. And boy, oh boy, what a crazy week. Plenty to talk about, lots of different fortunes for different people, and we'll get right into that in a moment as we talk about some QBs. But let's first and foremost welcome the boys into the pod. Lawrence, how are you, my friend? Talk about the the phrase catching a break. It's got a lot of different meanings this week, hasn't it? It certainly has, mate. It certainly has indeed. Yeah, and Tim is shaking his head because obviously, and we'll, we'll we'll come straight on to it, Tim. I welcome you in first and foremost to the podcast, mate, and hope you are doing well this evening. But obviously, let's start there in terms of the man that obviously caught the most unfortunate of breaks, and that of course is Dak Prescott with. A fracture uh, to his ankle, also a dislocation of the ankle. Um, Tony Romo thought it might have been cramped. That was a seriously bad bit of commentary from Tony Romo there. Uh, Four to six months for Dak on the sidelines. Uh, Surgery has gone well, first and foremost, which is obviously the good news. And obviously, best wishes to to Dak in a speedy recovery. But Tim, you know, firstly, you know, sort of talk us through. The game last night, the Dallas Cowboys getting back into the wing column, just about, it's got to be said, against the New York Giants. But obviously the big takeaway from the game is, you know, how big of an impact is losing Dak Prescott potentially going to have on the Cowboys season? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of words. Like you feel that very deflated, very sombre this morning. And I feel I feel so bad for Dak. Um, you know, and you can tell what he means to the league in general, coaches, players, everyone, everyone involved with the league. And when he was when he was carted off and um, you know, tears in his eyes, fist pumping in the air as he's getting carted off to the locker room. And I don't think the league really appreciates Dak Prescott, uh, his presence in the NFL. Uh, and I know I'm a Cowboys homer, but you know, whether whether you believe he's a good quarterback or not, whether you believe he's not worth the money that he potentially could have been paid, um, you know, he, the, the guy is statistically one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's he was on course for uh, a record-breaking season, and he constantly pulls kept the Cowboys not always successfully, but he always pulls the Cowboys out of you know, massive, massive holes um, that only kind of grave diggers can can dig. Um, but for me personally, it's, it's not. It's, I, haven't, I haven't experienced a loss like this since the the honeycomb slice was taken off the dessert menu in, in Pizza Express. But the good news is that that that, <laughs> that dessert came back on the menu, and Dak will return to the field. Now, we'll, a separate conversation will be had whether or not uh, it will be in a Dallas Cowboys jersey. That's not for now. That's for a lot of debate further down the line. Um, but as, uh, on a personal level, I, I feel for Dak Prescott in the sense that you know this year alone he's lost his mum. 
his brother's committee brother his brother committed suicide and he's battled his own mental health issues with depression and openly come out on it where in some circles he was lambasted or ridiculed for it uh, incorrectly in my, in my view um but to add this on top where he's a guy that yes he had 30 million guaranteed in his pocket this year um but what's to say you know worst case scenario we don't see him back on the field again all signs point that he will um but he could never he might not be the same quarterback again he might not ever get the the money that he could have got had he continued his pace uh for, for this season so yeah i mean it's a very it's a very bitter cherry on it on a very bitter dessert to continue to, to continue that that theme but in terms in terms of the game yes dallas were again fortunate to kind of win it greg zerlang obviously kicking squeezing one through the, the right upright as as time kind of expired uh, as as you would expect, the the injury t- kind of took all the air out of the game, and it took a while for the, both teams. I suppose um, Dallas were a bit a bit um, took a bit longer to to come round than, than the Giants did, but I, I think that the, the the Cowboys were lucky that the ineptitude of the Giants uh, allowed them to to get back into the game and and essentially win it. Um, you know. Early on, we had some of the same flavors that we've seen in the uh, ingredient in the melting pot from Dallas all season. You know, back, you know, bad turnovers, um, put in the defense uh, that's already decimated in in uh, with the backs up against the wall. Um, and it doesn't help, obviously, when the, the Dallas defense makes the New York Giants offense look like Kansas City Chiefs. But um, on, on the positive side, we did get back to the run game. Zeke Elliott had, an, had a good game, a couple of touchdowns, and, and CD Lamb continues to ball out. Um, how does he get so open? I, I don't know. But another 100 yards was uh, 100 yards was seen for him. So, uh, And that's actually the first time the Giants, would you believe, have allowed that for a while. So, um, yeah, lots of a, a couple of positives. Obviously, Andy Dalton's going to now get reps with the first team. Um yeah, huge, huge, huge loss. He's, he's nowhere near the ceiling of, of Dak Prescott. So uh, again, it's a crap NFC. So it just remains to be seen if uh, yeah, none of these teams are going to get past the wild card round. Yeah, interesting. Just in in terms of Andy Dalton, you know, we'll touch on him because obviously, you know, unfortunately, the injury obviously does create an opportunity here for Dalton. I saw mm. something ridiculous earlier, which someone suggested: will the Cowboys either give? Um, the young rookie that's on the squad, an opportunity. Will they try and swing a trade or will they roll with Andy Dalton? And surely the point of signing Andy Dalton was for this situation. Uh, (laughs) It it actually looks like a fairly shrewd bit of business. I mean, he came off the bench yesterday, ultimately, you know, turned what was at the time a defeat into a victory, you know, by whatever means you want to call it. It took a, a couple of, Absolutely monumental grabs from Michael oh. Gallup on the final drive. I know you mentioned C.D. Lamb, but Michael mm. Gallup with two absolute beauties, which both went to Booth Review inside the last two minutes to give Greg Zerline that opportunity. Um, we know that, like you say, the ceiling isn't that high in terms of Andy Dalton, but that, let's be honest, that's also based on, you know, a, a, a sort of tenure at the Bengals where he, you know, didn't yeah, necessarily yeah. have the, the most stellar of supporting offensive casts. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he had a, he had the, the prime of AJ Green, but not always an awful lot more around him at the time. He's obviously got more weapons here in Dallas. How far do you actually think that Andy Dalton potentially, you know, can go in terms of taking this Cowboys into a, a deeper run towards the postseason? Mm, uh, yeah, I, I take your point. Obviously, yeah, there's kind of a couple of sides to this. Obviously, the first side, you know, every, Mr. Dalton was was kind of branded Mr. Average, and Mr. Average is probably okay to win the NFC East this season. The one thing I, I do have that I, I worry about is uh, in in Cincinnati. Obviously, didn't have a great offensive line. The offensive line, um, Tyron Smith's just been obviously was ruled out before for the rest of the season. We, we we've not got 
we've got again that we've got a patchwork uh, on the offensive line. So I think we need to focus on on the run game and get the run game going back again, um, and then not you know not put it all on Dawson. Can can Dawson win a playoff game? Well, he's not so far. So uh, history tends tends to suggest not, but he, he can. Yes, he has the quality in the, in the talent to do it. I just wonder if that offensive line is going to be good enough for him to to feel comfortable in that pocket. But yeah, you know, a couple of weeks reps in, in with the first team and, and getting used to it. But I, th- I think it's on it's the onus is on Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy to dial up a game plan that says. Okay, Andrew Dalton, you're our secondary option. You're our Plan B, um, which isn't aided by the, the, of course, by our defense uh, getting in in big holes. We're not. You know, Andy Dalton's not going to be Dak Prescott in in you know, dragging the team off the uh, off the off the floor. But um, yeah, we need to concentrate and, and stay in games early rather than getting into ten point double digit point deficits. Uh, that's how we all win games. Uh, we can because the division's so so poor. But um, yeah, it, it, it could be a lot worse at quarterback. Yeah, I, I do keep thinking to myself, and obviously we'll wait and see what happens with the COVID restrictions and whether you know we get back to full capacity in NFL stadiums by playoff time. It obviously seems a, a lifetime away at the moment, but you never know with the speed that that sort of some parts of the state seem to be reopening back up. Um, you know, no one is going to want that away trip to Dallas, and even if they do end up as the sort of lowest ranked, you know, divisional winner, so to speak, it's still going to be a tough draw for somebody, isn't it? Uh, let's move to the other quarterback story in the NFC East. And it just so happens, fellas, that it ended up being your two teams this week with two of the big storylines. It's not because we just like to talk about our own teams on this podcast, but I think every single fan of the NFL became a Washington football team fan for a brief period on Sunday when, of course, the return of Alex Smith to football, an absolutely brilliant sight to see. Lawrence, you talked earlier in the year about the fact that you thought he would probably be starting by the time we got to Halloween. Probably wasn't the circumstances in which he thought it would happen. Obviously, Kyle Allen got the start and got a, a huge hit from Jalen Ramsey. And although medically cleared to return, Ron Rivera decided to stick with Alex Smith once he had been in the ball game and obviously had, had had plenty of opportunities to test those legs out because uh, at one stage I was watching Red Zone and I'm sure that Scott Hansen said that that was the Rams' 16th sack of the game. It actually turned out it was the sixth team sack of the game. So that, that, that'll teach me to listen properly. I thought that uh, Washington hadn't bothered fielding an offensive line for part of the game. But uh, a brutal reintroduction, mate, but absolutely brilliant to see him back on the field. Yeah, I mean, I'll just, just give a little bit bit of background to the start of this game and then come on to, to Alex Smith. So, we've got to, first of all, let's give credit to the Rams. I mean, if, if it wasn't for a bit of Josh Allen's heroics in week three, this Rams team would be up there with um, with the Seahawks at 5-0. and As it is, they're 4-1, they're sitting in a nice, comfortable wildcard spot in the NFC. The other little bit of context here is Dwayne Haskins, who was demoted from first string to third string, which is not something that happens very often for a player who's not even injured or on strike or doing anything daft apart from just playing awfully. Um, he decided to um, pull a sickie, which is, is quite unusual in a, in a COVID time, nothing to do with COVID. He just said he was ill. So he didn't bother turning up for the game, which was a little bit surprising. Um, Rams took a um, lead on a, Daryl Henderson run, and then they missed the extra point. So bizarrely, the Washington football team actually had the lead in this game in the first quarter. Kyle Allen had a, a you know quite a nice ten play, seventy three yard drive, and he took it in himself for the the tying touchdown. And Hopkins got the extra point. So we're 
we're seven six up and then that, that was the only kind of bright light this is, in the, this, in the this entire is where you put the cool in the gang on isn't it the cool in the gang celebrate good times yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, was, I was loving life for about three minutes there in the first quarter and then it it kind of started going pear-shaped Jared Goff found a wide open Robert Woods 56 yard touchdown and then the Rams pretty much got the it was almost a three and out, barring a penalty. Got the ball straight back again. Goff ran it in for a touchdown himself, 13-point lead. And then, as Sean's alluded to, with just a, just over two minutes left in the first half, Jalen Ramsey laid a, a wicked helmet-to-helmet hit on Kyle Allen. Kind of Somehow we managed to kind of keep hold of the ball. I think it's only because he fell on the ball and he was out of bounds. Otherwise, that would have been a fumble if, that, if he would have been kind of hit in the middle of the field. Um, that was it. Carl Allen out for the game. And then there was Alex Smith. First drive in just under two years. And it was interesting watching a bit of the Sky coverage because Peter King said um, at the end of the game that, or I think during the game actually, he said that um, former number one pick Alex Smith merely taking the field means that he's comeback player of the year. I think it's hard to argue considering the 17 operations, the fact he kind of almost lost his leg and, and kind of all the stuff that's happened since. It's And he, he walks with a kind of strange gait. He actually kind of drops back and on the field he looks all right. But if you watch him on the sidelines, he's actually kind of a bit of a John Wayne, like he's been on a horse. And he's kind of got a bit of a strange sort of stance to himself. So Alex Smith's first possession in two seasons, six-yard completion, an incompletion and a sack. So not the most auspicious start. Um, and then, but he gets his ball straight back after Kyle Fuller gets a, his third interception in two weeks. And he goes four out of four and they manage a field goal. So 2010 at the half and you're thinking, well, this is, you know, it's doable. Can the momentum of Alex Smith coming back into the game pay off? Uh, no. I think this is this is a bit where you kind of have to use a bit, <laughs> bit, bit of PR and you have to completely gloss over the second half. I actually added it up. The Washington football team in the second half managed minus six yards. Yes, folks. Minus six yards in total. And Alex Smith took, took the one sack in the in the first half. He took five sacks in the second half. Um oh. and it's it was it ended I don't know, I don't know about you, Lawrence, but every time he every time he kind of dropped back, did you wince just because obviously obviously what happened to Dak? You just wince oh. when I just you just see the, the Rams guys coming at him and you just think, please don't hurt him, please don't hurt him. The, <laughs> The, the, uh, the worst one, I think, was was it the first one or the second one where um, Aaron Donald piggybacked him? Mm. He, he jumped on his back and he kind of did a piggyback as if they were doing a training exercise. And Aaron Donald's full weight went onto Alex Smith's back mm. and he he, yeah. he jumped on his back and pushed him down. And yeah, you kind of thought, yeah, is they, he going to stand up? The only the only person happy about that seeing Aaron Donald uh, on his back and Alex Smith still still standing up is the guy that did his surgery. He knows he's done a good job there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's big, big endorsement for anyone going forward. Go and go and yeah. see that surgeon. So yeah. you know, by the end of the game, I think Washington did pretty good to hold the Rams to ten points in the second half. If we look at the 
be the output of minus six yards in total. And and here's another bizarre one. Washington didn't actually commit a turnover in the whole game. Even though they were god-awful, no turnovers. No turnovers from Alex Smith or, or Kyle Allen. Strange one. Um, third lowest offensive output for Washington since 1961. And the Rams ended just shy of four times the amount of offense than Washington in the game. Goff went over 300 yards and Gerald Everett, who's the backup tight end, had a nice game, had some juicy catches. So, yeah, just another one to forget. And and Ron Rivera's already come out and said if Kyle Allen's going to be um, kind of through any kind of concussion protocol, he'll be starting in the next game and, and not Alex Smith. So fair, fair play to Alex Smith for getting back on the field. But I'm sorry, he did not look like... <laughs> anywhere near what he looked like two years ago. It's a uh, shame. No, absolutely. I mean, obviously, it was always going to be an awful lot to ask. And and as you say, just to even see him on the football field was, was an absolute joy on Sunday. So, like you say, two very, very differing stories there of NFC East quarterbacks. Let's start to whiz through a few games then, fellas, and let's go back all the way to Thursday night football. Uh, one thing that we probably didn't know about a certain quarterback was Tom Brady doesn't realise there's four downs to play in the NFL. He wanted another one, didn't he? He wanted five, the greedy bugger. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the Bears just about cling on to beat the Bucks 20 points to 19. Obviously, I'm referring there to Brady trying to get the Bucks down the field to win the game and um, he missed a fourth down pass and then thought he would get another opportunity. It doesn't work like that, Tom. Forgot, he forgot he wasn't at the Patriots. <laughs> yeah, that's obviously where he's going wrong, mate. Obviously where he's going wrong. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens 27 and the Cincinnati Bengals 3. Bit of a poor showing from the Bengals offensively. Got nothing going. Actually did quite well defensively. 27 points for the Ravens. Sounds like a huge blowout. Seven of those came on a Patrick Queen fumble recovery uh, to sort of pad the scoreline. The Bengals actually played quite well defensively, but the Ravens improved to 4-1. and one. Uh, Another team in the AFC North doing well, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They improved to 4-0, and oh, and I was amazed by this. That's the first time in the Ben Roethlis Burger era that they go to four and oh I'm obviously missing a game after having last week's against Tennessee postponed but they beat the Eagles uh, Chase Claypool the big headline in this one grabbing four touchdowns although I've got to say fellas I did say this to you guys before we started recording I think even I could have caught some of those touchdowns he was that wide open some pretty shoddy coverage, it's got to be said, from the Eagles in that one. Um, but nonetheless, the Steelers get the job done. And like I so say, they stay perfect on the year. And Tim, you may have got on the hill a year early, my friend, but I think we can officially say that Jimmy G is not all that. Boy, oh boy, did the 49ers flop in Jimmy Garoppolo's return. Absolutely annihilated by Fitzmagic and the Dolphins. Um Fitzmagic, we know what he's like. Dummy, he's either hot or he's cold. He was very hot in this one, um, throwing bombs left, right, and centre. A couple of big ones to Preston Williams uh, and Miami stick 43 on the scoreboard, 43 to the Dolphins, just 17 for San Francisco. Jimmy G actually getting benched for CJ Bethard in yeah, this I, one. I was gonna, I was gonna say, was it, I couldn't, I, I didn't watch this game because obviously the Dallas game was on at the same time. I, I wondered if obviously Bethard came and I wondered if uh, the 49ers had all three quarterbacks on the field at one point. I suppose, I assume Nick Mullins didn't get on the field. No, no, it was just Bethard okay. and um, and Jimmy G. So yeah, Jimmy G. Sat CJ down. beats hard. 
Yeah, Jimmy G, seven of 17 for 77 yards and a couple of picks. Not exactly ice. When do I start my victory, la- my victory lap? Uh, yeah, you certainly got there early, my friend. But uh, <laughs> maybe it's coming to fruition in 2020. Right, fellas, let's move on and let's look at something a little bit different. And let's talk about the... Head coaches that are still just about clinging on to the jobs, and then I will come on to um, a head coach that has eventually won the sack race, the race that nobody wants to win. But it seems as though this year they're not waiting around. That's two in two weeks. We'll get on to Dan Quinn and the Falcon shortly. But, Lawrence, let's talk about the New York Jets. Um, another abysmal showing, mate, defeated by the Arizona Cardinals. Talk us through it. And uh, let's have a look at the prognosis of what Adam Gase has got coming up in the next month, because I will be amazed if he lasts to Thanksgiving looking at that schedule. Yeah, I mean, it, oh gosh. Le'Veon Bell was back from his injury, but had no impact. Joe Flacco is about as exciting as watching paint dry. In fact, I'd rather watch paint dry than watch Joe and Flacco behind centre. my house and watch it dry if you like. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll come and join you, because any, anything watch, <laughs> watching Joe Flacco... Um, Chase Edmonds opened the scoring with a pretty decent touchdown run. Just a quick question here, gents. If you if you were the um, if you're Cliff Kingsbury, would you rather start Kenyon Drake or Chase Edmonds? Uh, I'll go first. Chase Edmonds for me. Um, he always seems to carry the home run ability. Um, I think in the limited sample size that we've seen so far this year, he's performed the better out of the two. And more importantly, and the only thing I really care about, he's the one that I've got on my dynasty fantasy team. So he scores points when he's on the field. Kenyon Drake does nothing for me. So that's the tiebreaker mm. for me. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting one because Kenyon Drake obviously uh, traded last year, halfway through his season, looks like you know the new the new big thing in Arizona, but he doesn't he doesn't look right this season. He, he looks a bit injured. I don't know what he's carrying. It's probably one of those where at the end of the season he's going to come out and it's like Alvin Kamara say, "Oh, I was injured all season, or I was carrying this, or I was carrying that." Um, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't look right. Um, I know he scored a touchdown and. Uh, this week, but yeah, something something not met, uh, is a bit of miss there. But Chase Evans, perfectly suitable deputy um, if if they do decide to pull Drake, because obviously Drake's on tra- um, he's on the tender, isn't he, for this year? So um, yeah, be interesting to see what they do at the end of the year. Yeah, I was looking at look comparing their stats. Obviously, Drake's had the majority of the carries, but I think he's on he's averaging three point seven yards a carry, which is not exactly lighting anything up and his his yards per catch are, are shockingly poor obviously Kyler Murray's leading the team in in rushing average because he's a he's just a stud and talking about Kyler Murray he ran for his fifth rushing touchdown of the season in 5 weeks which is pretty pretty remarkable and then with with kind of there, there was just literally nothing to report of the jets of anything decent um and so we have to go back to the cardinals kyla murray finding deandre hopkins late for a couple of big big long passes including that touchdown and and just just that that kind of hookup is just looking great and deandre hopkins i think he's already over 500 yards receiving so far this season pretty pretty amazing stuff but you know how i like to go down the depth chart and I'd like to credit one particular guy here. And he is from the University of Sioux Falls. And if you can tell me the nickname of the University of Sioux Falls team without searching for it, 
you get you get a point here. She fell over. Um, Sioux Falls. Let's go with the dragonflies. Go on, Sean. I, I would. I would not even like to hazard a guess, my friend. Don't worry. There's no kind of racist tones here. They they are the cougars. So very kind of conventional. Um, kind of high school college name, but they, uh, that's, that's disappointing. That was very disappointing. There, I was expecting something extravagant like pink unicorns on it. Yeah, sorry about that. So that, that, <laughs> that was the that was the Moritz Boringer's team, yeah. wasn't it? They were the unicorns. So, yeah. You know, a man's a man's American football team. <laughs> Let's go, yeah. unicorn power, unicorn power. Insane. Power yeah. Mm. So this was this was a guy from the University of Sioux Falls in his first kind of defensive kind of starting kind of position because he's a special teamer. It's a guy called Dennis Gardeck, and he had his first two sacks for the Cardinals. Um, and just just absolute credit to him. If you go back and watch the highlights, he does a he does a dad dance um, after his second sack. It's it's one of the worst sack celebration dances in in nfl history but absolute credit to the guy so look out for dennis gardeck and i'll say this with a, a smile and with the optimism because the cardinals obviously did suffer on the other side with a huge loss um with chandler jones potentially out for the season he's had the most sacks in the nfl since 2012 and he's got a bicep injury and cliff kingsbury reckons he could be lost for the season so the Jets, I just, I, honestly, I'm, I'm rather talk about the Cardinals because I have nothing to say about the Jets apart from just kind of relieve them of their misery. Get Adam Gase gone and just, uh, just, I don't know, completely reset the franchise again. You know, how can you, how can you wake up on a Sunday morning being a Jets fan with Joe Flacco at quarterback? Just, just makes me want to cry. Yeah, I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned will he get to Thanksgiving. The upcoming schedule for the Jets is at the Chargers. Then they've got a home to the Bills, at the Chiefs, at home to the Patriots. So certainly doesn't get any easier. And, and maybe maybe they let Adam go see those games out, maybe fully expecting to lose them all and, and potentially relieve of his duties then. We'll wait and see. The case is on. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He's been waiting weeks to get that one in, haven't you, mate? Well done indeed. Well done indeed. Let's uh, let's switch coaches then, mate, and uh, let's talk about another guy that's seat could be getting a little warm. I think there was a few murmurs that he may be relieved of his duties in the non-too-distant future at least, and that's Doug Marone of the Jags. It seems as though the Jags are more intent on releasing kickers as they have now let go of Stephen Hauschka and will have their fifth different kicker in six weeks. So, suiting up this week. It's obviously all the kickers' fault in Jacksonville, fellas. That's all that it is. If they could get the kicker position nailed, then they'll all be okay. But uh, in all seriousness, obviously an opening day win, four consecutive defeats now back-to-back. Um, you know, there's, there's obviously all the talk of tanking for Trevor and all the rest of it. We had this with Miami last year, didn't we, when it was tanked for Tua. This year it's tanked for Trevor. Are the Jags in that category? And if they are, then surely, you know, Doug Marone's doing his job here in terms of losing games. But, you know, obviously we know that there's competitive pride and all the rest of it. I've never really been a firm believer in anybody deliberately tanking. Uh, so, Tim, talk us quickly through the Jags game yesterday and then, you know, sort of, again, the prognosis, in your opinion, on Doug Marone. 
Yeah, this, this wasn't this wasn't a pretty game. Um, and just a, a bonus stat for you here as well: the Jaguars are the first team in NFL history to lose three in a row to winless teams. That's not been done before, so that's quite something. Um, but this, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> this game was encapsulated or um, epitomized by going go and take a look at the um, was it the James Robinson direct snap uh, play. Um, yeah, awful. I, I mean, it's contended for one of the worst plays in the league so far, and I've watched a lot of Dallas games. Um, yeah, um, Hauschka kind of set the tone early on by missing a, what's the word, a chip shot field goal. Uh, Deshaun Watson, although uh, obviously Texans QB, looked okay to, yeah, at the end on the stat sheet, but he made uh, far, far heavy weather of, of the Jags' defence that were missing a lot of players um, that had been kind of propping up the Jags or at least keeping them... Um, kind of in contention in games uh, thus far in 2020, but uh, a couple of interceptions, yeah. And, and I, I don't know if it's because you know, the Texans have had such a hard schedule early on that they kind of, every team they step on the field uh, against, they, they, the mirage of thinking that they're all going to be that difficult, I, I'm not sure if they then kind of felt, oh, this team's not that, it's not that good, so we don't need to be that good and kind of fell down to their level. But um, yeah, Texans Texans ended up getting it done. Brandon, it was nice to see Brandon Cooks come back uh, come back into the NFL uh, and kind of not not announce himself, but have a, a good game. I know a lot of people in fantasy were were tilting with, with him. Um, it's actually the first time the Texans broke 24 points as well, which, um, which might, again, will surprise you or won't surprise you because you've got someone as talented as Sean Watson, a quarterback. Uh, but again, that, that opening schedule was was not the greatest. Um, two teams that aren't really, you know, aren't going to p- pull up many trees. Houston Texans, I think, are going to hover around 500 uh, when they do get there. Uh, eventually, I don't think they'll be good enough to, to get to the playoffs. They're just, you can tell the difference to what John Andrew Hopkins makes to that team uh, in terms of talent. You know, everyone else, Will Fuller is a, is a great wide receiver, but you can't you can't trust him for a whole season to to stay healthy and the same with Brandon Cooks to be, to be quite honest as well so um yeah again not not a great game loads of errors everywhere two teams that turned the ball over um when they were driving and and um it's pretty much watch, watching dallas in two different uh jersey colors to be to be quite honest but um yeah not not a great game not two not two not very good teams so that, that's probably all we uh all we need to to talk about yeah, just just in terms of of Doug Moran, then just in terms mm. of you know, do you think he sort of you know gets through the next few weeks? I mean, like I say, th- there's obviously been a bit of a fire sale there, and one thing and another, which is sort of giving people the impression that actually the intention is to lose. What what do you think actually happens there with with Doug Moran? Yeah, it's an interesting one because there's there's um, conspiracy theories going around that saying that the only reason that um, Doug Murray was doing a job was obviously because yeah, everyone's thinking that the Jags are moving to London and no one really wants to inv- be invested in the team uh, until that kind of sorts itself out and they know kind of what the, what the state of players with like taxes and and just how the logistics of it all plays out and Doug Marone just is just a sitting duck there uh, to, to monitor that transition over. Uh, obviously with, with COVID that's probably been put on the back burner a little bit now. So we'll be interesting to see if they go with maybe a, like a young coach or a college coach to try and uh, bridge the gap a bit further. I still think the, the intention is obviously for the, the Jags to, to be the London team uh, rightly or wrongly. Don't like it myself, but that's for that's for next off season. Um, but yeah, Doug Marone is not a great coach. He's not had, you know, apart from the, the, 
uh, championship game against the the Patriots, where they're a couple of minutes away from beating the Patriots, they've done absolutely nothing. They've tried multiple rebuilds. They've tried. They've drafted a lot, a lot of people that they've let go. You know, Alan, people like Alan Robinson, for example, um, and you know Jalen Ramsey. They've had the players there. there. There's something you know systemically wrong with the work ethic, the way they go about their daily attitude when they play on the on the field. And if if you're a fan, I mean, even not even all the fans are turning up to games when they have home games. When and obviously they're one of the few states that. In Florida, that are are allowing fans, and not, not I, I do wonder if they even struggle to sell to sell twenty percent of that that uh, that stadium. But yeah, dire 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 stuff for Jackson for Jaguars, and you can't really see anything out of it. Even if they tank for Trevor, yeah, that's not going to fix anything. He'll just get he'll just get traded on a couple of years down the line if they if they if they take him. There's there's a hell of a lot wrong there in in, in Jacksonville. Just one little point here that if in a bizarre twist of fate. The Jaguars do move to London and become the London Jaguars and Doug Barone is still there. It will be the 30th anniversary from when he lifted the World Bowl with the London Monarchs as part of the offensive line, the Nasty Boys. The stars of 1991. You know what I mean? It's it's they they're keeping him on. The NFL are keeping him on so they can do a massive PR job in 2021 and go, oh, and it's 30 years since the since you know Wembley Stadium hosted the World Bowl, and here's the the former player now turned coach bringing the team to London. There you go. I've written written the headline for you already a year in advance. There you go, boys and girls. So maybe Doug Brown has got at least a few more weeks left in him. Yet. <laughs> we shall wait and see. Um, one man who certainly hasn't got any more time left in him is Dan Quinn. Uh, he's been on the hot seat as we've discussed over the last couple of weeks, and that seat is. Very, very hot into the point that now it's been extinguished and he has been let go of along with Thomas Dimitrov, which I think was a little bit of a surprise, to be honest. Dimitrov done a good job there overall. He's always been an aggressive GM, obviously sort of probably couldn't trace that back to the, the trade that landed them Julio Jones all those years ago. Never been afraid to make a, um aggressive move. But the, the Falcons go down again, so they're 0-5, losing 23 points to 16 to the Carolina Panthers, who've moved to an impressive 3-2. and two. And is there anybody, fellas, having a better season at quarterback, more quietly than Teddy Bridgewater? He's not mm-hmm. getting the headlines, but he's, he's, he's playing some fantastic football. It's got to be said, up to 1,460 yards on the season, a 2-1 to touchdown to interception ratio, over 300 yards again in this one. And Robbie Anderson has all of a sudden realised that actually he's a pretty darn good receiver in the National Football League. He was up over 100 yards again yesterday. He went for eight catches for 112 and one of them, an absolute beauty with one hand over the top of a defender. Um, like I say, he hasn't necessarily got the name and you know there's plenty of other receivers that would have caught that and we would have been talking about it all over Twitter last night, but Robbie Anderson not necessarily getting the love that he deserved. Yeah, and, and along, there seems to be a number of unsung heroes on the Panthers. Mike Davis, who stepped in for Christian McCaffrey, who potentially could be back this weekend. I've, I've been reading that he could be, they, they're going to assess him and see if he could be, if he can come back for week six. But Mike Davis, again, he's been, he's performed admirably in, in that kind of, you know, caretaker role. He's, he's having a you know a number of decent catches each week. He's, he's moving the ball on the ground. 
getting touchdowns. So he's been a great kind of, you know, fantasy play. Anyone who's picked him up has, has had really good value from him. I think the Panthers overall, yes, it was the, the you know, the Norton Four Falcons going in, but you, you've got to win them. You've got to win them. And a, and a three-game win streak in the NFL is a three-game win streak. So well done to the Panthers. I think they're calling him Christian Mike, uh, Christian Mike Caffrey, aren't they? Um, but no, t- talking of start stars alone in a minute ago, I-, I think with this offense and say Robbie Anderson, who's getting a lot of the DJ Moore stuff from last year, obviously the underneath for making stuff happen after the catch. I think it's just a case of, it's just a perfect uh, utopia of, of head coach, um, quarterback with nothing to lose, added a weapon, that third weapon, uh, if you can call Curtis Samuel a weapon as well. But um just, just it all, it all seems to click, all seems to work. Uh, yeah, again, they're not being a lot in in Atlanta. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing what the right ingredients can can do uh, when you're breaking a cake. It doesn't always have to be the best ingredients or the most expensive ingredients. It's just the ones that work well together, and that's I think what Carolina are. are. Yeah, no, absolutely, mate. Couldn't agree more. And it's probably the total polar opposite, isn't it, to, to why Atlanta find themselves in the position that they are. Tons of talent. Obviously, they were missing Julio Jones in this one. Um, and he's obviously picking up more injuries as he gets towards the, the sort of back nine of his career now. Um, but obviously, this Falcons team, you know, and as much as it's a sorry thing to say, but the Dan Quinn era will always be remembered for one game and one game only. And we all know what game I'm referring to, fellas. They've never quite got over that Super Bowl throw away from 28 to three up. Um, and, and effectively, this has almost felt like the longest drawn out road to inevitability that there could have possibly been. Um, saved his job by winning six of the last seven after the bye week last year, um, but obviously off to an 0-5 start. And and to be fair, like I said, with all that talent that is there, um, you know, maybe just a, a, a fresh approach and a, a change of blood is exactly what uh, the Falcons need. Raheem Morris gets mm-hmm. the gig for the time being. Um, obviously, you know, the only way that surely he's going to be in contention is if they go on a, a monumental run between now and the end of the year. You wouldn't have thought that he would be somebody that they would be looking at for the longer term. Um, but yeah, Raheem Morris, the ex-Bucks head coach, gets the gig to, to mm-hmm. the end of the season. I think I think the worrying thing for for Atlanta is even usually Matt Ryan uh, still puts in performances. The last couple of weeks he's looked turgid. He's looked a bit shell shocked. So something's again something's not quite right there. And when say so when Matt Ryan, when you quarterback who's generally been okay for you and been one of your best players and kind of trying to put it more on the back, he's he's kind of buckled a little bit, which is a bit worrying. Yeah, outside of Calvin Ridley, he went for eight for one three six, uh, and Calvin Ridley's obviously paced that offense all year. Um, not a lot else happening there. Um, they, they sort of threatened to come back at one stage, but as you said there, Tim, a pretty shoddy Matt Ryan interception when he was targeting Russell Gage in the back of the end zone. Sealed the deal um, and ultimately sealed the fate of Dan Quinn. So he's the second head coach to lose his job after we told you on last week's podcast whilst we were recording, Bill O'Brien got his marching orders. So there you go. Right, fellas, let's move on then. Uh, the three games that we haven't covered yet are the three games that were all on Sky Sports yesterday. And I've got to say, what a cracking afternoon's worth of action we had here, fellas. Um, three really good games, all for slightly different reasons, but three excellent games. And let's let's go through them chronologically. And Tim, let's let's come to yourself to break down the, the first one of the evening. And of course, I'm talking here about the Chiefs and the Raiders. I don't think anybody has picked the Raiders to win this one. Certainly looking at our pick and group, I don't think anybody got this result correctly. Um, but what a performance from the Raiders after being down relatively big early on in the game. Uh, they come back and, and, like I say, a really impressive performance. 
break it down for us, mate. Yeah, I think anyone that did get it in the pick and make, they probably pressed the wrong button. That's the only reason why they got it. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, uh, who has, let's face it, has owned the AFC West uh, over the, since he ended the league. Uh, he was 12 and 1 against the AFC West teams coming into this one. Uh, they were even up by 11, which generally is kind of the, the nail in the coffin. You mean it, they just have to be ahead by one to, for it to be an uphill task. But um and of course, you know, we, we used to seeing them last year coming back from huge deficits. So being 11 up against the Raiders in, in which, you know, a team that's in you know, middle of the road at, at best. Um, the key the key to this one was the the six, there were six possessions when the Kansas City Chiefs were 21-10 up. The, the Chiefs then had six possessions and the Raiders defense limited them to three points uh, in those six possessions, which then allowed, obviously, the Raiders to, to get back into the game and, and get on top and... You know they were able to to run the ball effectively. This is a Kansas City Chiefs defense uh, run defense that's generally pretty good. But um, yeah, J- Josh Jacobs, they're able to sort the clock away and um, yeah, run the clock down. And obviously Derek Carr, the fourth and short, to to make sure that Hope Mahomes didn't get the ball back. Um, kind of finished that one off but Henry Ruggs provided a bit of X factor as well uh, which was he's missed obviously the last couple of games uh, just the three targets but two receptions and 118 yards and a touchdown uh, kind of again provides that little bit of X factor that allows Derek Carr who's not known for pushing the ball downfield but allows him to throw a bit further downfield and make those defences a bit honest and dare I say probably helped Josh Jacobs obviously in the run game and uh, Devontae Booker as well had a nice, a nice game in his uh, kind of cameo appearance um I mean, Mahomes and, and Shields pretty much were the, were the same that we've always seen, but probably in, in less uh, in less of a bulk uh, viewing. Still had a laser to Darrell Williams, which was a lovely touchdown um, through the eye of, a, eye of a needle. Um, but yeah, the interesting stuff from this one, the last time the, uh, the, the Raiders put up 40 uh, on, on Kansas City was uh, back in 2001. And who was the head coach? John Gruden. So he's done it before. Um, yeah, but yeah, massive surprise. One of the biggest surprises of the season. Uh, and Las Vegas Raiders fans rejoice. Yeah, absolutely. And and let's focus on the Raiders, Lawrence, because I'm sure we'll talk about the Chiefs enough over the coming weeks. They're obviously going to be in playoffs and, and all the rest of it. They're still obviously going to be in, in and amongst the Super Bowl favourites, even after a defeat. Um, but let, let's give the Raiders some love. And, and you mentioned Henry Ruggs there, Tim, and like you say, only two receptions on the day, but for 118 yards. When he's actually played... The Raiders are 3-0, and and in those games, they've scored 34, 34, and 40. In the games that they've lost, they've only scored 20 and 23 points. The other big factor, of course, is Darren Waller is a target monster, and obviously, if you've got somebody that can take the top off the defence, that allows Darren Waller to do what he wants to do underneath. So, how big of an acquisition do we actually think Henry Ruggs is? If you think back to the draft, I think a lot of people also scratched their heads because it was going to be either Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb, the first wide receiver off the board. And then when the Raiders went the unconventional route, everybody's like, well, ah, it's just the Raiders being the Raiders. They just draft, you know, they draft guys that are quick and that's essentially all that they're there for. But, you know, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but I think John Gruden said himself, we didn't draft this kid just to throw him slant routes. You know, we want him to take the top off the defence. How big of an acquisition, Lawrence, do you think he is? And if he does stay healthy, how big of a danger do you think the Raiders can be in the uh, in the AFC? I think we talk about sort of Teddy Bridgewater silently kind of doing really well. You look at um, Derek Carr, he's thrown one interception now in five games. So, you know, he's... 
him and um, Coach Chucky have have really got that kind of they're they're simpatico, aren't they, between each other? Um, Gruden wants you know you look at what what did Gruden manage to get to a Super Bowl before Rich Gannon? So you know this was a guy who was a bit of a journeyman. Um, Carr's different in that he's been in the Raiders franchise for a while, but he is having. Um, you know, arguably his best season ever. I think there was a season where he was kind of fighting for an MVP type season. I think it was three, four seasons ago, but Carr's been doing brilliantly. And and Ruggs, yeah, you go back to the whole kind of Al Davis thing about the kind of the need for speed and, you know, all these picks, Darius Hayward Bay and kind of all these people that that didn't, um, they weren't the home run hitters. And yes, it's only five weeks in, but as you say, the, the difference that Ruggs is making. And I think let, let's also look a little bit at that Raiders defence. Max Crosby, he's he's performing out of his skin as well. I'm, I, I love a bit of Max Crosby and I, I think he's he's kind of worth, worth the admission by himself in terms of his kind of enthusiasm and kind of what he's doing at the moment on that defensive line. So I think the Raiders, you know, it's 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 fun being a Raiders fan at the moment. You've got a you've got the kind of you know, barring probably the um, the Cowboys, you've probably got the sexiest stadium in the league as well. So you know you you can't go wrong. It's just such a shame that you haven't got a stadium full of fans because I think the the Raiders fans at the moment would be uh, an absolute sight for everybody. You imagine that black hole in Las Vegas. It's going to be, once they get them, you know, all there, it's going to be incredible. You, you're just going to want to go for that experience just to see the Darth Vader masks and the, you know, the the chains and the kind of spikes coming out the helmets and everything. So, you know, fantastic. Yeah, I, I think great, great, great kind of, time to be a Raiders fan and Ruggs yeah I think he's got the ability to be one of the rookie stars of the season yeah absolutely and that place is indeed going to be rocking as and when they can get people into that stadium it's obviously going to be everybody's favourite away day on the schedule as well isn't it so yeah can't wait to see that place heaving uh, second game of the evening the battle of two, three and one teams heading in the Colts against the Browns. Um, and I said last week, fellas, that this would be a real acid test of how good the Browns were or weren't. And as the case proved, it turned out that they actually are pretty good um, against the league's number one ranked defence. The Browns put 32 points on the board uh, against 23 for the Colts. So the Browns improved to four and one for the first time since 1994. I'll tell you what, fellas, we're getting to the point where these records are going to actually be before I was born with how good the Browns have actually started this season and it shows how bad they have been forever. Um, so I'm certainly going to enjoy it whilst I can. Um, tale of two halves in this one. Uh, Baker Mayfield in the first half. Probably his best game as a Cleveland Brown or best half as a Cleveland Brown. Anyway, 19 completions for 228 yards and two touchdowns. Basically distributing the ball wherever he wanted. Um, lots of good play action passing, getting Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry involved, two really good touchdowns, one in particular to Kareem Hunt, which Baker extended the play and, and sort of moved around and found Kareem Hunt as he came out, in the back corner of the end zone. 
uh, and things were looking quite rosy. Um, but to be fair to the Indianapolis Colts defence, some excellent half-time adjustments and Baker's second half stat line just read to two completions for a total of 19 yards with two interceptions. Uh, so quite the contrast, it has to be said. Uh, but just when Cleveland needed it, they got their longest run of the game um, to essentially ice this one, a 28-yarder from Dearness Johnson. Um, effectively allowed Cleveland the opportunity to run down the clock and a Cody Parkey single dunk in off the upright for Cody Parkey. So he's got his, uh, his angles and his geometry correct uh, this time around and uh, the Browns end up winning by nine. For the for the Colts, I've got to say, probably as expected, and I sort of writ this in the game preview, as good as the defence is, the offence hasn't really got going. Uh, Philip Rivers, he, he looks like what he is, fellas, if I'm being honest. He looks like a journeyman at the end of his, his career. Um, I mean, the, the first interception in particular he threw was just absolutely woeful, back across his body, late. Ronnie Harrison was there to pick it off and, and waltz into the end zone. The second one wasn't much better. Um, he felt some pressure for Miles Garrett, stepped up in the pocket, and again, a throw late over the middle, and they always end up in absolute disaster. Uh, the ground game didn't yield a lot either, just 57 yards rushing for Jonathan Taylor on 12 carries. Um, so it was a battle of, of two teams that were, were quite evenly matched, to be fair. You know, like I said, the, the, the Colts defence certainly better than the Browns defence and limited, um, certainly in the second half, what the Browns could do. But that, that offence really does need to wake up in Indianapolis for as good as that defence is. Uh, they're just not getting an awful lot of production from the offence whatsoever. I've already heard a couple of people sort of clamouring for a quarterback change which seems a little bit extreme considering the investment that they've made in Philip Rivers. But I can only speak as I find, fellas, in terms of what I saw yesterday. It wasn't particularly pretty. Uh, Tim, you've been waiting to come in for a while, mate, so I'll let you come in and make your points. No, I, I was just going to say, obviously you mentioned there about the Cleveland records going back to perhaps when you were born. I think, I suppose as a Browns fan, you can get excited when they start to go back before when Lawrence was born. <laughs> When Lawrence was born, the Browns were very good, mate. Let me tell you. Go on, Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got very, very vivid memories of the Browns going to two AFC championships in a row in the late 80s. Um, and then poor old Ernest Biner fumbling on the goal line, um, who did manage to get redemption, won a, won a Super Bowl with the, as they were, the Redskins. So, you know, congratulations to Ernest Biner there from back in the day. But yeah, this was, you know, Bernie Kosar. Yeah, oh, I absolutely loved it. And the the two best cornerbacks of the 80s, um, Hanford Dixon and Frank Minifield. So the, the Browns had a, a, an amazing squad at the time. They, they, were just, they were just picked by John Elway twice in yeah. two consecutive AFC championships. So yeah, yeah vivid memories of them. Yeah, so shove that in your pipe, Tim. We haven't always been crap. All right. Um, <laughs> Have since I've been born. <laughs> and since I've been born, mate. Um, Rodrigo Blankenship again actually outscores his own offence in this one. We talked about that last week, and that was in terms of a stat of him outscoring opponents. He actually put up nine of the points. There was only actually seven contributed by an offensive touchdown because the other uh, other touchdown on the day was actually the longest play in the NFL this year. 101-yard kick return from Isaiah Rogers, which fair play was an excellent, excellent return. Um, so like I said, a really good game. Um, two evenly matched teams. Um, an important win for Cleveland. It's, um, obviously with seven uh, making the wild card and that's obviously 
AFC against AFC could come down as an important tiebreaker down the line. I can't believe we're five weeks in, fellas, and I'm talking about the Browns in playoff contention. Let's move on to Sunday night football. And boy, oh boy, oh boy, I'm running out of words to describe him. Um, He's just brilliant, isn't he, Russell Wilson? Didn't have his best game by any stretch of the imagination on Sunday. But boy, when you need someone to come through in the clutch, what a drive. If you don't watch anything this week on Game Pass, just go and watch the last drive. We'll get to the reason as to why he even got an opportunity and whether yes, he should, we will. And whether he should yes, have had we an will. opportunity. So yes, on, we Lawrence. will. Go on, Lawrence. I will tee you up, mate. You take it away. Oh, boy. What what an absolute treat. I, I didn't watch it live, but I, I got up early this morning. I think I was up about 7 o'clock this morning and managed to watch kind of most of it before my kids came down and we had to stick Horrid Henry on with, with literally one minute to go. So at least, you know, at least they went to school straight after. So I, I saw, saw the end, but yeah, um, incredible game. Vikings to start off with, they, they look like absolute world beaters. Drove down the field using Tim's kind of food analogies of today, kind of like, like a hot knife through butter so to speak. And there they were. Dalvin Cook gets the the touchdown. And then, you know, Russell Wilson was looking at kind of sixes and sevens, really, for that whole first half. They just, the offense wasn't clicking and the defense was just about keeping them in there. Um, And somehow the Vikings didn't capitalize really on something where they should have had a much bigger lead. As it was, they got two extra field goals, 13-0 at halftime. I think it was Russ's only only his second or third time that he's ever um, gone into a game scoreless at the half. So, you know, testament to what, what Russ has done since he's been in the NFL. And then we come to that third quarter. So we talk about what went on in the fourth quarter. Let's talk about what went on in the third quarter first. Um, just kind of five minutes in. And then it all just went crazy. The, the Seahawks score three touchdowns in one minute and 57 seconds, which is just, you know, it's hard, hard to do that. But, you know, just, just going through what happened, you have started off with a beautiful um, Russell Wilson pass to one of that crew of tight ends, Will Disley. Lovely kind of toe tapping and carried on the run into the end zone. Lovely, lovely touch on that on that pass. Then KJ Wright, the, the Seahawks linebacker, recovers a fumble. Wilson tosses his second touchdown, this time to DK Metcalf. Then KJ Wright, who's having one of his best games of his life, then to me delivers what I thought was the absolute play of the entire weekend, which was his one-handed interception kind of sort of in midfield. Puts his hand up. He must have kind of stretched. He was, he was looking like he was dunking. But he, he got he grabbed that ball and brought it back down and you know didn't run far back but just the athleticism to go up and pinch that ball out the air like a like a little boy scrumping apples out of a out of a tall apple tree it was, yeah. it was fa- fantastic there and then Chris Carson takes advantage um, on the first play from scrimmage runs for a touchdown and what a run that was yeah and just just blasted out like a cannon. Um, not Trenton Cannon because Trenton Cannon wouldn't manage to get over 20 (laughs) yards Um, Trenton Cannon would probably get 2.4 yards on that Um, and it's it's 21-13 already and the the Seahawks have got an 8 point lead and you're kind of going like this 
It reminded me of the uh, the butt fumble game, Patriots Jets. Yeah, I mean, if you if you went for a um, a wee and a coffee, by the time you've come back, you've kind of gone. Have they switched up the games? Because that that was a crazy, crazy two minute period, and then to their credit, the Vikings didn't flinch, and they went and they went and did two. They had two terrific drives, eleven play drive. Thielen touchdown and then a 15 play drive 97 yards and and Thielen takes the lead with his second touchdown grab then we're going late into the fourth quarter now just over two minutes left Vikings are going to try and win this game Zimmer's going yeah I've got the confidence Alexander Matteson Yes, he's come in for the injured Dalvin Cook, but Mattison is a hard-nosed running back. He doesn't take any prisoners. We're just going to run it up the gut, fourth and one at the five-yard line. We're going to get that yard, run the clock out, and win the game by five. Nah, nah. Mattison gets stuffed, and then with 94 yards left and just under two minutes, Russell Wilson gets on his apron, grabs his saucepans, gets the oregano and even a light drizzle of truffle oil and starts cooking. And that drive was absolutely outstanding. And, you know, big, big hookups. Again, DK Metcalf um, proving, you know, that he was an absolute steal in the second round of last year's draft. And then first and goal at the six, incomplete. Second and goal at the six, DK Metcalf catches the ball, but then drops it. One referee goes touchdown. The other one says no. The one who says yes gets overridden, incomplete. Third down, he goes back to Metcalf again. Not a good play. Wasn't, wasn't going to go anywhere there. And then fourth down and six with the game on the line. Goes back. Third play in a row. Goes back to DK Metcalf who catches that touchdown and that's it. Game over. Well, almost game over. They missed the, they didn't get the two pointer and then the Vikings get the ball back with about 30 seconds left to be fair. And then it was, I thought it was a bit of rough justice with Kirk Cousins sort of pass that was called a fumble. I I really thought it was an incompletion, but it was judged a fumble. And therefore, because it was a fumble, the clock stayed live. And it went immediately from whatever it was, nine or eight seconds down to zero. They challenged it, failed. That was it. Game over. Yep. Russ is cooking. He most certainly is. And and Tim, let's be honest, if DK Metcalf could sort out his issues running in the three cones, he'd actually be a decent wide receiver, wouldn't he? Be a first round, be a first round draft section. It just it just shows you that. Yeah, the the overreaction. I know Lee obviously listens to this, and he's our college guy. But just the overreaction of of just that one drill out of all the other skills and attributes he has. Um, and again, it, it it just speaks volumes that Russell Wilson has has gone to him three times when the game is on the line, needing six yards at the end of the game. Um, when he's got a lot of other options there. Obviously, you got Chris Carson who's caught multiple. Uh, Receiving 
touchdowns this season. Tyler Lockett, his favourite buddy from last season, where I think he had a perfect passer rating, didn't he, last season when, when targeting Tyler Lockett. Uh, and then they've got, um, who, who could do a lot of different things and say Greg Olsen's been there and done that. He's been to a Super Bowl, I think, with, with, with Carolina, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely phenomenal stuff from Metcalf. Um, like you say, he, he's probably been the standout receiver so far through the first few weeks of the season. He's gone over 90 yards in every game. He's got five touchdowns now on the year as well. Uh, we won't spend too much longer on it, fellas, because uh, we want to get some stats and everything thrown out very shortly. But just in terms of that decision, Lawrence, you've talked about the play and, and summarised it nicely for us there in terms of Mattison getting stuffed. I mean, firstly... If Alexander Mattison's a half-decent running back, that's not getting stuffed. There's a big enough hole there that he could have gone through or he could have even bounced it out to the outside. I think if Darwin Cook had been in the game, um, who knows, they may well have picked it up. But the actual decision to go for it there, the scoreboard at the time, there was a five-point differential. If they kick the field goal there, it goes to eight points. And then even if Russell Wilson does play Superman and drive up the field, as he did, he then still needs to get the two-point conversion, which in you know in the in the scenario that ultimately played out, they obviously went for that and didn't get it. So, I mean, that, that's surely saying something to the Minnesota defense that Mike Zimmer doesn't think they're they're capable of holding Russell Wilson out, you know, for a field length of the field drive with a minute to go and stop a two-point conversion. And, and bear in mind, even if he'd have done that, they were still going to overtime. Still a tie, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of these ones where. One yard can make you make the difference between you looking like a genius or a goat because he gets the one yard, they run the clock out, game over, nice upset win. Seahawks lose their unbeaten record. Vikings go in with a bit of confidence. You know, Captain Kirk can start steering his ship in the right direction. And then, you know, I, I love Alexander Matheson. I think he, he is a great kind of support running back, kind of one of the top five in the NFL. And he actually went for over 100 yards in that game in, in relief for Dalvin Cook, who was still playing up until the third quarter. So, you know, I, I, I understood the play. You know, they're, they're one of the teams that uses a traditional fullback as well. CJ Hamm, a traditional old school fullback. So it's not as if they're... They're relying on kind of, you know, more of a kind of, you know, ducking and diving type of a, you know, a running play with with skill. They just went for the hardcore run up the gut and it just didn't work. But it was just kind of inches away. So you think, you know, that that's I understand the call. But, you know, in hindsight, you're going to win every single game you ever haven't coached with hindsight. But, you know, one of those ones that you, you got that one yard, you know, a lot of the time you see these fourth and ones and, and the, the defence are playing that aggressively that the guy will just run for a touchdown. He'll just run, he'll find a gap because everyone's committed and he'll go bang, touchdown all over, win by, you know, 10, 11 points. So, yeah, just a big, big, big play. So, you know, got, got, to, got to credit the Seahawks there. No, absolutely fair play indeed, mate. And talking of hindsight, obviously with hindsight, we'd all be 100% in Pickhams, but none of us are again this week, fellas. Like I said, I don't think anybody in the group picked the Raiders to cause the upset victory. Uh, as things stand, David, two is still out in front. But uh, David, whoever you are, I'm coming for you, my friend. I'm yet again joint leading scorer on the week, boys. Doing the full 10 yards proud this week. I think I was the only person to actually pick the Dolphins this week, but... Uh, 
There you go. We all get lucky from time to time. Obviously, if you're not joined in yet, get involved in the Pickham competition. We will give away a prize if anybody nails a perfect week. And I've got to be honest, fellas, we'll come on to it in a minute. It's going to be difficult to keep track of what's in what bloody game week, the way the schedule's been altered around, but we'll get on to that shortly. Right then, boys, we normally go through some winners and losers, but I think we're probably all in agreement that uh, if a guy's lost his job, the loser for the week has got to be Dan Quinn and the winner for this week has got to be Alex Smith. So I think we could just skip straight on, boys, to Stats Life. So Lawrence, throw us a beauty out there, mate. Get us off and running with your first this week. I have a very tenuous UK connection here. This guy was born in British Columbia in 1998. And it's, it's your friend, Sean. I think you, you don't like Chase Claypool, do you? You think he's overrated. But he became the first Canadian-born player to score three touchdowns in an NFL game in the past 30 years. In fact, the last, last Canadian-born player to score three touchdowns in a game was Reuben Mays, the New Orleans Saints running back, back in 1990. Just to clarify, I just think Chase Claypool, I think the the reaction has just been a little bit, you know, anyone would think Megatron was out there yesterday. Now, all I'm saying is it was a little bit of soft coverage. I mean, there was one particular play where, and one of his touchdowns, he basically was the, the last of four receivers lined up almost directly behind each other. And the Eagles' remedy to that was just to put three defenders there. What did they think was going to happen? It was a, it was essentially an extended handoff for Big Ben. So nothing against Chase Claypool, but uh, let's see if Denzel Ward can lock him down in week number six. We'll wait and see, fellas. Then, then I'll tell you if he's any good. He'll probably burn the Browns for five touchdowns now I've said that. Tim, hit us with your first one, buddy. Spot the Browns fan. Um, I actually did have a lose. It was AJ Green, but we'll get onto that maybe more later in the year. Um, okay, my first one. The rookie leaders in pass yards, rush yards and receiving yards are all first round picks from LSU. Joe Burrow, 1,121 yards. Clyde edwards 304 rush yards. Justin Jefferson, 348 receiving yards. Since 1970, no score has ever produced the rookie leaders in all three categories in the same season. Thanks to NFL Research on that one. Yeah, obviously with all of those first round picks, it was it was probably a good probability. But yeah, certainly they're uh, doing LSU proud. I'll, I'll quickly come to your AJ Green point, mate, because I, I don't know whether we can actually class him as a loser because he just looks like he's given up on the game. If you're on about the play that he literally just like walks around after an interception, it was yeah, just just he was in just, the middle of it. He just needed a dog lead and a dog. He was just having a walk in the park. It was just staggering. If I was the Bengals, I would just be cutting toys, to be honest. I think T. Higgins has shown enough glimpses in the first few weeks, and he's a big-bodied receiver. I think he can pretty much sort of slot into that mould. And like I said, it's a bit of a shame because AJ Green, certainly in his prime, was an absolute beast, um, You know, but certainly a million miles away from that at the minute. Raving killer. Give us your second one. Okay, I'm going to save my best one for last, so this is my second one. Only three running backs went over 100 yards in week five and all lost their games, but they lost more than just the games. Todd Gurley, who went over 100, lost his head coach and his general manager. Alexander Matteson lost his teammate, Dalvin Cook, to a third quarter groin injury. And Ronald Jones was a loser in the rematch that featured the first ever matchup between two quarterbacks that played each other in a Super Bowl and then had a rematch, both playing for different teams. 
Impressive work, mate. I love the fact that Lawrence not only gets these stats, he puts his own stats on top of these stats, Tim. He's really up in his game this week, mate. So there you go. Pressure's on. Second one for yeah. you, Timmy boy. I'll question the source later. Um, okay, all my stats this week for some reason are AFC North related. I don't know why, but anyway. Okay, so here's one. Uh, these two, two defensive ones for my next two. The Steelers' defense has the most sacks in the NFL. The Steelers' defense has the most sacks in the NFL since 2019. They also have the most sacks since 2018. Since 2017, since 2016, since 2015, since 2014, since 2013. The last time, uh, the the Rams have the most stacks since 2012. So if you start each year and count all the way up until today's today's, or last weekend's games, the Steelers defense have always had the most sacks. You're trying to win the competition to impress a Browns fan and you're throwing Steelers defensive statistics at me. (laughs) You haven't figured out the way to win this, Tim. I'm open to no. bribery, my friend. I'm open to bribery. Come on, Lawrence, finish him off. Well, I let you down last week, Tim, didn't I? Because I didn't turn one of my factoids into a question. So I'm going to do it for you for this one. Since 1970, only five players have recorded 10 catches and 150 yards within their first five games in the NFL. The feat was last performed before last weekend by Anquan Boldin in 2007. Who managed this feat on Sunday? So I, think, I think I know the answer to this. 10 catches and over 150 yards within their first five professional games. Is it go tr- for you, Tim, first. No, oh, I didn't hear, I didn't hear but I don't know. Okay. Go on, Tim. You've got to give it a guess because Sean has absolutely smashed it out of the ballpark. Uh, so collectively over the first five games, yeah? Just in one game. Oh, in one game. During, in one game. In their first five times they've suited up, they've managed 10 catches and 150 yards in one of the first five games ever. Mm. No Just, one's done it for no. 13 years. Justin Jefferson. I mean, it can't be CeeDee Lamb, but no, I don't know. Go on, Sean, to take the glory. Is it, is it Travis Fulgham? Yes, it is. Uh... Yes, sir. Travis Fulgham. The guy who, if you picked him up in your DraftKings team, you're probably sitting pretty at the moment. I certainly didn't. Um, I had a couple of three mil bargains, but they both um, kind of did stuff to the bed that meant I have to change the sheets. So, yeah, Travis nice. Fulgham, what an absolute ledge. Yeah, he had, a, he had a hell of a day, didn't he? Um, myself and Steve from our group, um, yeah, we were sort of WhatsApping last night and every sort of Eagles play seemed to be Travis Fulgham on the end of it. So, yeah, an absolute find for them. Obviously, all of the wide receiver problems they've had in terms of injuries, Travis Fulgham is certainly a man that has taken his opportunity. I don't think he'll be going back to the practice squad anytime soon. Come on then, Tim, final chance for you, mate. Third and final one of the week. Uh, okay, so again, another defensive one, another AFC North. Um, the Ravens had five de- de- uh, defensive backs record sacks time for the most in an NFL, NFL game since 1982 when stats became an official, uh, sacks became an official stat. Go away, do your homework, my friend. I told you for your second <laughs> stat. You're not going to get me with praising the other teams in the AFC North. Lawrence takes it comfortably this week. Tim, give me some Brown stats. Give me some Brown's love next week. Maybe you can get... Never. Get back on never. 
Right then, boys. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it for the last. I'll do it for the next eleven weeks. Don't you worry. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on then, fellas, and and get out of here pretty sharpish. Uh, we kind of alluded to it there when we talked about the Pickham's competition, about the schedule and all the moving around. Uh, the easiest thing to do will just be to obviously check out NFL.com for all of the the sort of fixture moves. It's obviously a fluid piece. We'll obviously get your game previews week to week with all of the content that we do put out once the schedules are fully confirmed. But obviously the big news is the Broncos and Patriots game that was originally scheduled um, to be played tonight. It was actually going to be kicking off around about now. Um has ultimately been moved back to next Sunday. Subsequently, that's led to around about another half a dozen alterations of games. Um, it feels as though the NFL don't have a lot of moves left to play, I would suggest, boys, if the outbreaks don't get under control. And, and I sort of use that uh, quite loosely when I say that because I think... There's a lot of, I wouldn't say overreaction, but people seem to be really criticising the NFL for the handling of this and all the rest of it. You've got to think that there's 50-odd players on a game day roster. There's more players than that when you include practice squad. So each team's carrying six, sort of 65 to 70 players. There's then all your training staff, all your coaches, everybody else that's in the buildings. You know, you're probably talking 200 to 300 people within and an NFL team environment times that by 32, you know, you're talking, you know, getting towards sort of 10,000 people that are probably sort of in and around the sort of NFL franchises. And the fact that we've only had, and I say only, because obviously we don't want any, but we've only had a relatively small number. I actually think the league are doing a pretty good job with all of this, to be honest. I don't think they could, I don't think they could really do an awful lot more. Could they, to be fair, they obviously want to try and do it over 17 weeks. You can criticize them for that. If you like, and maybe in hindsight, putting an extra week in, you know, where everybody was going to get a bye week for argument's sake at the halfway point, or everyone was going to get a bye week in week, 12 for argument's sake, which would have ultimately been a bit of a reserve week for any postponements. Could have been a good thing, as we said earlier, though hindsight is wonderful. I actually think the league have done pretty well with this, fellas. So, you know, fingers crossed the schedule doesn't get altered too much from where it is now. Uh, It does, however, mean that there is one final game of the week, boys. Um, And obviously, by the time most people will listen to this, it will be in the books. But uh, very quickly, Chargers and Saints. Saints without Michael Thomas, who has decided to take up boxing in his recovery from injury, obviously, by the sounds of it, and obviously knocking out one of his teammates. Uh, Must be pretty serious for a guy that obviously means so much to the team that the team have have automatically ruled him out. you know, but uh, very quickly, let's come to both of you just for a quick prediction and we'll find out in the morning whether we were right or wrong. So, Lawrence, who do you think wins and why? Going with the Saints, I just think Alvin Kamara is just too unstoppable. I think they, they, they've got used to being without Michael Thomas for a little while now. Trey Quan Smith's stepping up. Um, you know, let, let's let's see if they can mix in a bit more Taysom Hill. They keep teasing him, but... Let, Give him a little bit of an outing, I say. So let's let's give a little bit of Taysom Hill love to tonight. And Tim? Um, I think I went Saints in the pick'em, but we've got a sneaky suspicion Chargers might do something. 
Yeah, I've actually gone for the Chargers in the Pick'em. Um, so, yeah, I actually think the Chargers, they, the defence gave the Chiefs all they could handle a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, and I, I actually think that the the matchup is actually pretty favourable for them in terms of that defensive matchup against the Saints. We'll wait and see, uh, see how that one transpires, though. Um, obviously, the usual Monday night football slot. Uh, so enjoy that, anyone that has been up and is watching it. Uh, right, fellas, uh, let's get out of here. As usual, all week, plenty of content coming your way. Takeaways will be out for Tuesday. So if you don't like listening to us rambling on, on a Monday night and you'd rather just read our thoughts on a Tuesday, me, the boys, and obviously everybody else connected with F10Y HQ in the NFL side of things, we'll get some written thoughts on paper for you. We'll obviously then go a little bit deeper into that on a Wednesday um, to check out that. And then we obviously then start to turn our attention to the week ahead with our preview pieces coming out across Thursday and Friday. Obviously, not just us in the NFL side, obviously all of the good stuff from the college boys, fantasy, betting. As always, we've got you covered at full 10 yards. Uh, So, fellas, absolute pleasure as always. So let's get out of here for another week. It's goodbye from Lawrence. Take care, everybody. And, and Dak, heal up. Here, here. Tim? Yep. Yeah, to that. Uh, see you next week. Yeah, look forward to it, boys. Uh, obviously, as always, in the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. And bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards or email the show full10yards at gmail.com.